First Samuel, we're going to look at the story of Hannah, both in our lesson now and in the morning service. First Samuel chapter 1, and let me read for you at least the first eight verses. There was a certain man of Ramaphaim, Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously, to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Samuel is one of the greatest Old Testament characters. Um, he is included in the statement that God makes in Jeremiah 15.1. It says, even if Moses and Samuel stood before me, in other words, if these two guys were praying for you as a nation of Israel, I still wouldn't listen to you. I wouldn't give you any of my favor. But he says, you know, even if the two greatest, basically, pray, prayer warriors, Moses and Samuel, he's included right alongside of Moses. Acts 13 and verse 20 says that uh, there were judges for 450 years and Samuel was the greatest of all the judges. He was, a, he was a judge, he was a prophet, and he was a kingmaker. And he was transitional in Israel's history. Hebrews, in the Hall of Faith, chapter 11, verses 32 through 34, mention many, many of the great Old Testament heroes. One of them is mentioned is Samuel and the prophets. Now, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't get mentioned by name. It's just the event. They quench the violence of fire. And so they get mentioned and stop the mouths of lions. Their event gets mentioned, but not their name, but not with Samuel. Samuel is called Samuel the prophet. He gets mentioned by name in Hebrews 11. There's only three Nazarites in the Bible, Samuel, Samson, and John the baptizer. All of them are mentioned there, but Samuel is the first. He has two books of the Bible, First and Second Samuel, with his name on them. And there's no doubt, without any more proof, that Samuel is a great Old Testament character. And when we think of the story of First Samuel 1 and 2, we normally think of today might be baby dedication because we mentioned the story of Hannah having Samuel and Samuel being dedicated to the Lord. But I want to encourage and challenge mothers and all of us today <clears throat> with this thought is that this is really more of a passage than baby dedication. It is about mom dedication. And I would tell you today that babies uh, don't grow up to be dedicated unless their moms are first dedicated. And that is certainly the case with Hannah. And so 
I want to talk to you today just about uh, dedication, about being dedicated. And, and that's important in our culture for a number of reasons because dedication is not on the rise. It's not nearly as common as it used to be. People used to get a job and, and be at that job their whole life. And now, for various reasons, people don't stay with the companies that they... And people, companies don't feel the dedication to their employees anymore. People don't feel the dedication to their spouse anymore. Um, people don't feel dedica- need to be dedicated to their church. If there's a better church with a better program, and they don't like this, but they like that better, people find it easy to move on. People are not dedicated to their teams anymore. I have all my life, since I was 10 years old, been dedicated to the Detroit teams, and it hasn't been easy. <laughs> I live in an office where Pastor Crompton reminds me all the times that the Eagles have now won a Super Bowl, and oh, what about the Detroit Super Bowl? Oh, they haven't been in one. So I hear that all the time, but yet I still root for the Detroit teams. Yes, I do. But it's not easy, and let me tell you this. You read the story of Hannah, it's not easy to be dedicated. It's not, and I mean to God. So I want to just give you, and I think they're very practical points today, three deterrents to dedication. What are three things, three areas that moms face, all of us face, that will, if you let them, prohibit you, keep you, become <laughs> boundaries, as it were, or barriers to you being dedicated to God? The first, one, the first deterrent is this, <coughs> relational deterrence. Elkanah, the Bible said, and you look at the first couple of verses there, verse 2, he had two wives. Now, don't miss and run over this. That wasn't normal. It wasn't God's plan, but he did. But the question is, why did he? If you read down at the end of the portion we read, it says when they made the yearly sacrifice and they went up to Israel to do it, that he gave a double portion to Hannah because he what? He loved her. Now, in the text, look, look at the Bible says, he had two wives. Notice the order in which they are named. The name of the one was Hannah, which means, in Hebrew, favored one. And it says, and the name of the other one is Penina. Now, I ask myself, I wonder which one he married first. And here's why I think he married, obviously, Hannah first. She's mentioned first right? Then why in the world, if he loved her so much and married her first, why did he ever marry Penina? And the answer is, she couldn't have children. In Jesus's day, it is written in the Talmud and other places that you could marry a woman for 10 years, and if she couldn't have children, you could divorce her and find another woman who could, because that's how important it was to have children. I'm thinking that he married Hannah first. He loved her greatly, but time passed and she couldn't have children. So now he marries Penina and guess what the Bible says? She can have children and she has them. I looked in the text, it says, when they went to offer the sacrifice, he gave a portion to her sons and daughters. So she at least has two sons and two daughters. So in the rivalry and competition, it's, Hannah zero, Panina at least four, right? She's down four zero after how many years of being married? I don't know. The Bible says this was a cause for Panina to irritate her. And it says grievously. And then you throw in in chapter one and verse three, listen to this. It says, and they did this year by year. 
So imagine every major holiday comes around, especially the one where you go up to Jerusalem to give the sacrifice. And every year, Penina brings it up on the long road going up to Jerusalem. Hey, by the way, another year's passed. I have four. How many do you have again? Oh, five, zero. I forgot. She might have said to her, you're inadequate. You're a disgrace. I'm by far the best wife. Good thing he married me because if he only had you, he wouldn't have anything. She may have said, why did he ever marry you in the first place? He should have just started with me. What good are you? Maybe she even said, Hannah, favored one. That's a joke. In the Old Testament, having children was supposed to be a blessing from God. In fact, having children was a commandment, be fruitful and multiply. It was considered by Jewish people that if you couldn't have children, that you were cursed by God and it was a punishment. Because God promises, and I'll say it in the morning message, twice, that when they moved into the promised land, there would not be a male or female, including animals, that would not have, be able to produce He says, I promise there'll be no one who is barren. So if you were barren, people looked at it as there's something wrong with you. So going up to the sacrifice year every year, Padina probably said to Hannah, good thing we're coming up here because you must have a lot of things to confess. And I tell you this, relational problems, relational deterrence can be a big problem to dedication. Every year, imagine, watch, every year this is what she gets. So she has a relational tension. Her husband loves her, but she has to live with the fact that he did choose another woman. And the other woman is built into our home. And I live with it all the time. And I have to hear this from her. Right? And then she has this woman who's constantly belittling her and telling her all kinds of awful things about her, trying to get her to find her identity in having children instead of God. And it would have been easy, wouldn't it? If I was Hannah and did with that every year, you know what I'd find? Every year about the time you're supposed to go up with the sacrifice, I would say, oh man, I don't feel too good. I don't think I need to go this year. You guys go ahead. And I would just say, forget it. Why do I need to go and abuse this myself? (laughs) Why do I have to take this every single year? She could have stayed home. She could have. She could have let spiritual things become less a priority in her life. She could have said, hey, She has all these children. I have no children. There's the contrast. And she becomes self-focused instead of God-focused. And she could have blamed God and said, listen, God, I'll try to live for you, and this is what you do for me. I'm favored. That's a joke. And she could have become self-focused instead of God-focused. But she didn't. She didn't do any of those things. Spiritual things didn't become less important to her because of her circumstances, but more important to her. Isn't it true, moms, at times, at least for some, that some of the most difficult deterrents to dedication to God occur right in our own home? I mean, we expect friends at times not to be faithful. Foes, we definitely expect to give us a hard time. But family? It shouldn't be, should it? But it does happen. And perhaps most hurtful ones, the most difficult ones to endure, are from our own family. Strained marriages, disobedient children, irritating, it says, frustrating, debilitating. But here's a principle I learned, and I want to share with you moms. The first one, relational deterrence, is this. Don't let what's going on in your house keep you from being in God's house. Can I say that to you? Don't let what's happening in your house keep you from being in God's house. 
See, she didn't get turned off to the word. She quotes it in her prayer in chapter 2. She didn't stop going to the house of God. She kept going every year. Even though she got the rotten treatment every year, she kept going. She kept worshiping. She kept singing. She kept making the sacrifices. And above all, she kept praying. So here's a woman that didn't let her family's lack of dedication, or at least some of them in it, to influence her dedication. She was going to have God as number one, as a pride in her life, and it didn't matter what anyone else was doing. Now, let me tell you a little bit more (coughs) about the story. The place where she found the most pain, the house of God, the sacrifice, and being made fun of by Panina, is the place where she found her peace. Do you know if she would have stopped going to church, stopped worshiping God, If she would have put it off, put it on the back burner, stop reading her Bible, stop praying because of all the things God, quote unquote, wasn't doing for her in her life, you know what would have happened? She would have missed out because you know where where Hannah's life was changed? In the tabernacle. That's where it was changed. And because she kept putting God first, because she kept reading her Bible and praying and worshiping him, see, that was the day when Eli's there. And even though Eli wasn't a good priest, and even though Eli thought she was drunk instead of praying, it ended up that she, God answers her prayer. And let me tell you this. Putting your life and centering around God and the house of God and the things of God is what ought to mark every single mom, hear me, no matter what is going on in your life. That's what dedication is. It's easy to be dedicated when God is answering your prayers and your kids all turn out and your marriage is great and finances are perfect and everything. But let me tell you this. But when the things are most dear to your heart, even becoming a mom when you cannot, that's the proof of your dedication. And Hannah was dedicated even though there were relational deterrents in her life. Secondly, there were emotional deterrents. For sake of time, let me just read them for you. In verses 6 through 15, let me read all the emotional-laden terms. Panina provoked her grievously to irritate her. Provoked is used a second time. It says that Hannah wept or cried three times. She didn't eat. Eli thought she was drunk. Elkanah asked her the question. Elkanah, he says, why is your heart sad? She was troubled in spirit. I poured out my soul. Verse 10 says she was deeply distressed. Do you see what I'm talking about? I mean, here is a woman literally probably every day of her life, and especially on the most important services. It'd be like, your, your life is miserable and you want to come to church on Easter and Christmas and find some solace. And even on those days, it's terrible. And she's distressed, she's sad, she's depressed, she's emotional. I don't know if she struggled with having a short fuse, if she got angry easily. I don't know if she tried to keep her moods intact, if it went high and low for her. I don't know how it worked out in her everyday life. But I know this, Hannah had strong feelings, Every day, year after year, not not just a week or two or a month or two or even a year or two, but for years she struggled. But you know what I find in the text? And Hannah prayed, verse 10. Verse 12, she continued praying. 
She says, I'm the woman that was praying, verse 26. And for this child, verse 27, I prayed. Chapter 2, verse 1, and Hannah prayed. You see what I'm talking about? Ladies, Hannah had strong feelings that were controlled, controlled by a strong faith. She did. And I will tell you this, whether you're a mom or not today, you know this is true, we will not always feel like being dedicated, will we? No. It's Mother's Day and it's rainy. I don't feel like it. I don't want to get all of the kids, five of them. I don't want to get them all ready today. They're fighting each other. They're running around. I can't find another shoe, right? I don't feel like doing this again today. I do this every day. I need a day off. I don't feel like it today. I'm tired, and you are. I don't feel like it because my husband doesn't give me any help. I don't feel like it because when I go to church, I just have to worry about dropping the kids off, picking them back up, finding them. I got to go home and make the lunch. It's much just about a work day like any other day. The pressures, maybe a job on top of all of it, cleaning the house. We don't feel like it, do we? And that's not only true of moms, but all of a sudden, it's easy to have a pity party. It's easy to look at your circumstances and say, when is it going to change? When is it going to end? When is God going to step in and do something? And Hannah says, I'm favored one, right? Then why do I feel all this anxiety? Why do I have this depression? Why does God let this woman continue to badger me? Have you ever said any of those things? Are you still waiting and said, God, where are you? Do you not look at me? How much time has to pass? Are you going to step in? Do you keep your word? Do you care? Hannah must have felt all of those things. And the Bible says very, very emotional. But let me tell you this. If you live by your feelings, you will live independently of the Lord. If you live by your feelings, you will live independently of the Lord. You will think it's all up to you. It's easy to have a pity party. You will focus on yourself. You will become the victim, and you'll think everybody owes you something, and why can't they see how great I am and how hard I work? But if you're like Hannah, not living by your feelings, although you have strong ones, instead, living by your faith will make you live dependently on the Lord. And you know how I know she did? Because she never stopped praying. She never stopped worshiping. She never stopped going to church. She never did. No matter how she felt, she was faithful. See, moms, that's what makes a difference. And when you do that, and when you say, God, here's how I feel, but here's how I believe. And my faith trumps my feelings. See, that's when I honor God. And that's when I begin to have an impact on my family and the lives of those around me. And that's when God begins to transform those feelings in your life. Can I show you how he did that? Chapter 1 and verse 18 says, (coughs) at the end of her prayer, she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Okay? She doesn't know the outcome of the prayer. She doesn't know what Eli's going to do yet. Then it says, then the woman went her way and ate. Remember, she wasn't eating, now she's eating. And it says, and her face 
was no longer sad because she stayed faithful, dedicated, dependent on God. He transformed her emotions from sad, distressed, grieved, irritated to what? I don't have that anymore. You know why? For her, it wasn't in her circumstances she found happiness. It was in her God she found happiness. And when she could bring it to him and know that he was sovereign and control and would do what's right, that was enough for her. The Bible says in chapter 2 and verse 1, after God gives her a son, watch. Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts, rejoices, praises in the Lord, it says. Oh, how does she do it? Because before she was given Samuel, she prayed. After she was given Samuel, she prayed. Now see, listen. It's great if God does something wonderful for you as a mom to reverse your situation. And I can tell you this, it's great, but it's easy after God does what you want him to do that you give him praise and you pray to him and you depend on him. But you know what makes Hannah great? is what she was before she got the answer to prayer. She was the same after she got the answer to prayer. She wasn't fickle and saying, God, well, I know I don't have time for you and pray. I'm not dedicated to you. But then, you know, you do what I want you to do. Oh, and then I have time for you. That's not Hannah. Because that's not dedication. You know what dedication is? God, before you do anything, I love you. I'm dedicated to you. I'm faithful to you. You're number one in my life. And if you do something, oh, you did. You're still number one in my life. See, that's dedication. That's the difference. How do you do that? Three minutes. I have two things. This, I can't never get them done. Two things. And study them out on your own. In order to have that perspective and that level of dedication, you cannot see all that you're facing in your circumstances as only your story. You have to see your life and everything in it, even the worst of things, as part of the bigger story of God. Let me show you how Hannah did that. In her prayer in verse 11, here's what she prays. Ready? O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant, circle it and remember me. Draw a line from that to verse chapter 1 and verse 19 when God answers her prayer. And it says, they rose early in the morning, worshiped before the Lord. They went back to their house at Ramah, watch. And Elkanah knew his wife and the Lord remembered her. It's not because he forgot her, although she may have felt like it favored and forgotten. That's why she, she might have turned herself. It doesn't mean he forgot her. Here's what it means. Ready? Genesis 8 and verse 1. And the Lord remembered Noah. In other words, he thought on him and acted on him in his circumstances, which were desperate. Ready? And the Lord remembered Abraham. Genesis 19, 29. The Bible says, and God remembered Israel when they are slaves in Egypt, Exodus 2, 24, and 6, 5. Samson cries out after he sinned in the temple, O Lord, remember me this one last time. Nehemiah, three times at the end of his book, says, Lord, remember me, remember me, remember me for the good that I have done. The thief is hanging by Jesus on the cross and says to him, Lord, what? Remember me when you come into your kingdom. It is a covenant prayer. 
It is a prayer that says, God, I know who you are. I know what you've done for me. And would you look on my circumstances and remember me? Because that's what you've done for all of these people that you used in your story. So she says, remember me, like you remembered Noah, like you remembered Rachel and Rebecca and Sarah who couldn't have babies. You remembered them, remember? And they even said that in the Bible. God remembered her. See, God, I'm in your story. And this isn't about me not having children. It's not just about me. It's about you, your story, your glory, she says. Remember me, and God does. And God remembers her in a way that Samuel becomes one of the greatest characters in God's story. But that's not all. Can I close with this? Chapter 2 and verse 21. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 2.21, Indeed, encircle it, and the Lord, see it, visited Hannah. It doesn't mean he came over and they set the table and they had tea and crumpets together. That's not it. The word visited means God redemptively acted in her behalf to tell his story. You know how I know that? Exodus 4.31. And the Lord visited his people Israel and brought them out of slavery. And Lord visited Ruth, it says, who was a Moabitess and made her part of God's story. Zacharias prays about John the baptizer and his wife who was barren and had the forerunner of the Messiah. And in Luke 1, 68, it says, and the Lord visited them. The people watching Jesus do the miraculous things he did says truly God has visited his people today. Luke 7, 16. When God visits you, he is doing something major and personal in your life. Listen, for his story. And that's what happened with Hannah. Would you pray that way, ladies? Guys, would you pray that way? God, answer my prayer. Visit me. Not just for me, but for you. And you know how I knew Hannah knew that? Because what she wanted most, Samuel, which by the way means asked of God, I gave it back to you. You know why, God? Because it isn't about me. It's about you. Your name and your glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we pray and ask for dedicated moms in their house and in your house that they might see themselves in your story and live accordingly for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.